Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. I'm um, I'm lingering in that phrase, Jesus, you change everything in that song. Uh, I was thinking about what what is it that I need changed in me? What is it that you need Jesus to change in you? And what has he changed? He's changed everything, beginning with our salvation, because he came and lived and died on a cross and rose again. He conquered death, and he said, trust me, follow me. And I will change everything moving forward. I'll give you a new purpose to live for, meaning for your life. I want to use you to impact others. I want to surround you with a family, with love. Jesus changes everything. What a great lyric that is. And uh, just allow those words to, to shape the way you think and let the Spirit of God touch you this morning, even as... Uh, we move now into the message, uh, although I do have to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the host this morning, so here's the host. Welcome to Ocean Hills. <laughs> Welcome to Ocean Hills. Uh, I love this church. We are, if you're new today, we are, we're actually celebrating 25 years this fall. We've been a church in existence. Uh, we planted this church, yeah. We planted this church in the summer of 1998 with some sneak preview services. Back in the day, that's what you did. We only met once a month, and it was kind of a sneak preview. What, what's this church going to be like? And uh, so uh, in the fall, we are going to uh, have a big uh, anniversary party. And um, I just want you to know that your partnership, your friendship, uh, for some of you, over the months, or, or you know, maybe you've only been here a few months, and many of you have been here for many years. Some have been here since the beginning, but it matters. It makes a difference. Showing up uh, to church, it matters. Not just for you, but your presence actually matters for somebody else. They see you. You may not know this, but I see, and that encourages them. They're like, oh, wow, my friends are here, or whoa, I know that person, and there's something about in it together, right? That makes a difference. Showing up matters. It makes a difference. And uh, we create space for the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do the work of God in us. And, uh, and God brought you here today to receive something from Him, but also to be a conduit, to be an encourager, to notice, to see people, to acknowledge people, to be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus. So, I want you to know that your giving makes a difference. We just came out of a uh, generosity series, and uh, somebody asked me this week, I, I found it interesting that I got an email about a matching gift, and it was the end of the year of your fiscal year, but you just spent five weeks on generosity, and you never mentioned once that we were coming up to the end of our fiscal year. And I'll just give you a peek into my heart. I actually did that intentionally because I thought if I talk about it's the end of our fiscal year, they're going to go, oh, great. 
It's the end of the fiscal year. That's why we're doing a series, sermon series on money and on generosity. I actually truly believe, I, I want this to be a healthy, life-giving community that we don't have to say it's the end of our fiscal year. Please bail us out. I don't want to be that kind of community. I want us to be the community that we're all doing our part. We're all being faithful in our responsiveness to Jesus, to his work. Our commitment, our love for Christ is expressed through our faithful, generous, cheerful giving. And I just think if, if each of us, I got to look in the mirror, I got I to I look at God and say, am I living the life that he's calling me to? If we're on that path together, we're not going to have to worry about the uh, end of the fiscal year. But I will tell you, uh, uh, the encouraging report is this. Thank God that we have a finance team, and thank God that we have a leadership team. In the middle of the year, we were uh, way behind budget, so we actually made some, uh, some major budget cuts. Did some, we we kind of had some vision and dreams of stuff we wanted to see happen, but mid-year we said, that's not going to happen because our giving has fallen far behind. So we made some adjustments, came to the end of our fiscal year on June 30th, and completely, we, we were within $5,000 of, uh, of our budget. So that's kind of a break even. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. Let's keep going and let's keep dreaming and uh, let's see Jesus change everything, not just here in this church, but in all of Santa Barbara and beyond. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to close your eyes just for a moment, lead you in a prayer as we prepare to hear uh, the message this morning. Maybe open the palms of your hands and quietly, wherever you're at this morning in your faith journey, uh, what is it that you need Jesus to change? He changes everything. He has the power to change, to heal. He has the power to create a breakthrough for you. He has the power to provide for you where you're lacking, might be love, might be friendship, it might be resources, money, I don't know. He has the power. So just quietly, I'll give you just a, 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 a moment here. In the quietness of your heart, would you just connect with God, inviting him to change whatever needs to be changed. It might be a, a signature sin in your life, a, a pattern that's unhealthy, an addiction. Just invite him in right now. Oh, God, hear the cries, the cries of our heart. We, we cry because we want this world to be a different place. We cry because we want our own personal world to be a different place. We want you to bring change. We want you to bring healing. We want you to bring love. We want you to bring forgiveness. We want you to bring repair, restoration, hope, faith, salvation, comfort, encouragement, strength. God, would you come right now and bring and breathe life into us and around us and help us to become wounded healers, change agents, ambassadors of Christ, that you use us 
to help bring life and love into the lives of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Uh, so last week, I, I used this phrase, God made you to be a conduit, not a container. We talked about storage lockers. We talked about uh, 90% of storage lockers in the world. You find them in one country, America. 90% of all storage containers are, are here in America. And we talked about um, why is that? It's because our closets are full and then our garage gets full and now we still have more stuff because we collect stuff. So I don't have any room in my closets. I put it in my garage. Now I can't park my car in the garage and now I got to get a storage locker. And just a symbol, a spiritual symbol for me, for us. God did not put you on earth to just be a hoarder. And I want you to, today is, is, we're not talking about money today. Today we're actually talking about your life. That God has not put you on earth to be a container, just to be a receiver, a consumer of spiritual truth, to come to church and just receive uh, in your friendships, in your family. I'm just here to take. But God has made you to be a conduit. He wants to use you to be a conduit of love, a conduit of mentoring others, of discipling others, of impacting others, of influencing others. He wants you to rub off on others in order that the people around you will become more like Christ. You know, in the Great Commission, and those of you that don't know the Great Commission, it's at the end of Matthew's Gospel. So Jesus came to earth. God himself came in a body, became a person, and lived on planet earth, and he invested in disciples. And then he suffered and uh, was tortured and was crucified unjustly, uh, but purposefully in order to bring salvation in order to save us, you and me, from our sins. That's what the Bible teaches. And then he conquered death. He rose again. And uh, the Bible says that before he left, before he ascended into heaven, he gave his followers a great commission. And it says, go make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we're put on earth to do. It doesn't say go be disciples. And I think that's partly where we get it wrong. We just are about our own growth. I'm going to be a disciple. In the Bible, we are to be disciples. But the Great Commission says go not be a disciple. It says go, say it out loud, make. Go make disciples. That means we're contributing, participating, engaged, involved in influencing others. I think, and this is going to just be my own... Um, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't know why this happens to me when I speak. If you, God bless you if you love the King James Version. God bless you. God bless you. 400 years ago, the King James Version came into being. It was translated, you know, English, that old English. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Great Commission in the King James Version was translated, and you can see it on the screen, not go make disciples, but go ye therefore and teach all nations. 
I want you to go on this journey with me. I actually think that translation has maybe done more harm than good because the American church, the Western church, has turned discipleship into a classroom. We just teach. Oh, we, we make disciples. It's, we're, we just teach the nations. So we just send people out to teach about God. Now, that's actually part of disciple-making, but it's only part of it. It's only part of it. Go make, and that's what I want to talk about today. Today's a one-off. Today is just what's been in my heart. Uh, I wanted to share a, a kind of vision for this church, what's in my heart, what I want for us together, what I want for you, what I want for me. Um, Making disciples, spiritual mentoring, it's, it's teaching others what they need to know and showing them how to live. It's teaching. I, when I became a follower of Jesus, I was 16 years old. I knew nothing about the Bible. Nothing, 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 nothing. I needed other Christians, not pastors. I needed other brothers and sisters to help me know who God is, what he's like, the way of life that he's called me to, how I'm supposed to live because I've received Christ into my life because he died for me. Now how do I live? I needed others to, to tell me, how am I supposed to live? Teach me the truth of God's word. But I also needed people to show me how to live. And you need that too, and I need that. And so I want to introduce you to a word, diatribo, diatribo. It's a Greek word. For those of you that don't know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. But this word means to rub off on, to influence, to pass time together, to linger, right, to linger together. And so much, I think, of the disciple-making culture, it's the classroom, we get there, we're, we, we do our Bible study, and we leave. There's no lingering. There's no rubbing off on. It's more of a teacher-student kind of thing. I want to introduce you to a couple verses where this uh, word, diatribo, is used. John 3, 22. And then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went into the Judean countryside. And Jesus spent some time with them there. Jesus spent some time with, that's diatribo, diatribo. Spending time with, diatribo. And then the next, uh, John eleven fifty four. 54, it says, Jesus withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Diatribo, linger. Rub off on. That's kind of the big phrase of this Greek word. It's to rub off on. And that's, man, when I understood that, I thought, wow, that's my heart for this church, that we would be a movement of people that are rubbing off on each other to become more and more like Jesus, living and loving and rubbing off on. And the Apostle Paul got this. One of my favorite ministry verses 
is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul wrote to this little church in Thessalonica, uh, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, that's the teaching part. We shared the, you got to do that. I'm not saying we don't do that. We do that. But what does it say? We shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Do you, do you get that it's both and? It's not either or. It's not just kind of hanging out. But it's not just being in a classroom and being in Bible study. It's life change happens. Disciple making happens when we share the good news of the gospel with each other. We share how good God is. We talk about how he changes everything. How's, how's he working in my life? How's he working in your life? We interact with the scriptures. We allow it to nourish our souls. But we're also talking about life, real life. How's your marriage? How's your kids? What's it like being single? How are you battling loneliness in this, in this epidemic? Where are you struggling? How can I support you? Like real life stuff. The church isn't just supposed to be talking about kind of King James, go there forth and be holy today. I mean, we have, to, we have to engage in each other's hearts and lives in real time, in real life. And that's Jesus's vision. That we would rub off on people. And in order to do that, you got to get close, don't you? You have to get close. Proximity matters. Greg Ogden wrote a book called Transforming Discipleship, and he writes this. At the heart of discipling is an intentional, intentional, doesn't happen by accident, intentional relationship in which one or more believers assist or invest in each other. Why? In order, in order to grow to maturity in Christ. An intentional relationship, a mentoring relationship, a discipling relationship. Doesn't mean I'm better than you if I'm a mentor in your life but it might mean that I'm a little bit further along than you. There can also be peer mentoring. We can mentor and disciple each other. We don't have to define the relationship, you know. We can just be rubbing off on each other intentionally saying, let's grow together. Let's become more like Jesus together. Let's be on mission. Let's, how about you and me, you know, grab some younger folks and say, hey, you want to be in a group together? Or let's, some, let's grab some older people and say, hey, can, can we be in a group together and will you invest in us? What's important is that the church not just be about the classroom, so to speak, or the sermon. This isn't enough, me standing up here on the platform and you sit there and you go, okay, I'll scale of one to ten. All right, man, you were really good this week, Ireland. We'll give you a four, you know. <laughs> I actually have a friend here who, Tells me, you were awesome, man. I, I, I give you a three today, John. So I won't name you Troy Hammond. <laughs> Anyways, the, the idea is intentional, helping each other grow to become more like Jesus. 
I was uh, six years ago, a little over six years ago, 2017. I, I'm not going to say I ran. I jogged the New York City Marathon. I ran the New York City Marathon. I didn't stop. I ran it the whole way. I finished it. I'm not, um, I'm not bragging. I am going to brag about the person who won the race in the women's category, Shalene Flanagan. I think we have a photo up here of her, maybe. Do we? Did we lose it? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, Shalene Flanagan was the first U.S. woman to win the New York City Marathon in 40 years uh, in 2017, the day that, that I ran that race with uh, actually a handful of folks in this church. We ran it. There was, I think, five of us that did it. But the New York Times uh, published a story the day after that really struck me, and I want to share parts of that story, um, Shalene Flanagan's story. Let me just read this. Uh, New York Times article, she was the first American to win the New York City Marathon in 40 years. Flanagan's bigger accomplishment was in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. her the New York Times is saying this. Her bigger accomplishment, bigger than winning the New York City Marathon, was nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her, a rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Every single one of her training partners, 11 women in total, made it to the Olympics while training with her. That is an extraordinary feat. It's called the Shalane effect. I want the John effect, the Rev effect. I mean, the Shalane effect. Could you imagine having that reputation? That you're not the hero, you're a hero maker. You're the one that invests in others and they become more like Jesus than you are. They become more generous than you are. They're actually making more disciples than you are. They're having a bigger impact than you are. That's the goal here. That's the Shalane effect. That's what she was doing in the women's world of running. And it goes on. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself, Flanagan told the Times. She said this, I think it makes me a better athlete and person. When we achieve great things on our own, it doesn't feel nearly as special. Isn't that true? Being in it together Accomplishing great things for God, his mission, his movement, life change, transformation, people saving souls, people coming to faith, people growing, people staying married, and not just staying stuck married, but having beautiful relationships that are life-giving and healing and deep friendship and soulmate stuff. That's what the Lord wants for all of us. That's why we're here and exist as a church. But it goes on. I love this. The next year, so 2018, Boston Marathon, Desiree Linden, who was one of Shalene's training partners, won the Boston Marathon for women. First American women to do it in 33 years. So think about this for a moment. 2017, 2018, you got 
this group of women that Shalane Flanagan has put together. She's choosing people to say, you want to be training partners. You want to help each other get better. And then look at the impact. She's actually influencing others, and then it helps her get better, and she wins New York. And then 2018, her training partner, Desiree Linden, is the first American to win in 33 years. But here's what's kind of crazy about the Boston Marathon. So Linden and Flanagan are running that race together. And in the first half of the race, Linden, who actually won the race, she said, she goes, I almost quit. I almost dropped out. I was feeling really crappy that day, and my body just wasn't responding. She goes, but I just mentally said no, and Shalane encouraged me to stick with it. And then we get to the halfway point at Wellesley College, and Flanagan has to take a potty break. I mean, they're trying to win this race, and you, if you stop and take a potty break, I mean, there's no... Flanagan stops at the porta-potties, and Lyndon slows way down so that Flanagan could take her potty break, rejoin her, and then together they can push each other to catch back up to the elite group. And that's what they did. Think about that. Sacrificing yourself, slowing down to help somebody else actually helped her win the race. In fact, she goes on to say this. When you work together, you never know what's going to happen, Lyndon said. And then here, here's the quote. Helping her helped me. Helping her helped me. That that's truth right there. I just love that. I just love that quote. Helping her. When we help others, we're actually helping ourselves grow. When you help another person grow in faith, you're going to grow because it's their questions that, that are going to help you grow. And it's when you're giving yourself out, God's refilling you. You're trusting him going, I feel inadequate. I don't know, I, I don't think I have what it takes to win this race. But God shows up and uses you. When you help others, you're helping yourself grow. So C.S. Lewis, he said this, Don't shine so others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. I love that. I want to introduce you to just a quick little model real quick. Some of you have heard me uh, share this before, but it, I think it helps me think about what we're talking about, discipling others and spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And here it is. Think about an infant, a baby. A baby needs somebody to feed them. A spiritual baby, their attitude is, feed me. So if you come to church on Sunday and your attitude is, John Ireland's job is to feed me, your spiritual infant. Now, as you grow, you're going, okay, and there's nothing wrong. When you're a baby, you're a baby. All right. I mean, we have a little grandson, and, and little Parker's dependent on mom and dad to feed him. But there will come a point in his life, I'm going to call it spiritual adolescence. Teenagers know how to feed themselves, right? You move from being dependent on others feeding you, there's growth that happens, and now you're a teenager and you're like, I know how to go into the refrigerator and feed myself. That's what we might call spiritual growth into adolescence. And if that's you, you're like, I know how to have a devotional life. 
I listen to maybe Lectio 365 or there's a, a devotional. Uh, uh, there's so many. I mean, so many great devotionals out there. And you have taken the initiative to create space in your life to feed yourself, to listen to God's voice, to pray, to journal, to practice Sabbath and solitude and fast. You know, you're, you're initiating your own spiritual growth. You're not saying, feed me, feed me. You're saying, I'm, I've actually grown and I've learned to feed myself. That's spiritual adolescence, but that's not where we stop. As we continue to grow in maturity and become like Jesus, spiritual adulthood is feeding others, feeding others. Now I'm on mission. I'm on mission to help you grow. I'm on mission to help others grow. So I'm creating groups. I'm creating relationships. I'm creating opportunities. I'm creating environments. I'm creating experiences, relationships to help other people grow. I don't have to be everybody's best friend, but can I cr create some life-giving experiences and relationships and environments and groups so that friendships happen and that life change happens and that Jesus is invited into it? That's what we're trying to do here. And I don't know. I just I'm I'm just thinking of Shalane Flanagan and I'm 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 proclaiming and praying that this church would catch the vision to become a spiritual Shalane Flanagan to say God who are the people that you want me to impact and influence? Show me. And so really quickly, uh I just have a real quick outline uh, and I'm going to rip through it. Pray hard. So you're like, well, how do I do it? How do I become more like Jesus? Become a disciple maker, not just come and consume and just be about my own growth, but to really grow into maturity. One is pray hard. You know, Jesus, before he chose who he was going to invest in, in Luke 6, it said he went out and he prayed and he spent the night praying, and then he called his disciples. He chose 12 of them. And so I just encourage you, if you're saying, yeah, I want in on this disciple-making movement. I want to be, uh, like, I want to have the Shalane effect in my life spiritually. Start by praying hard. Begin by praying, Lord, lead me. God, show me. Uh, and then begin to look around. Who's right next to you? Who do you live with? Who are your roommates? Who are your kids? Who do you work with? God has placed people around you. Maybe God's put those people next to you, in front of you, around you, because he wants to use you to impact and rub off on diatribo. He wants you to rub off on them. Uh, look, look, look for the people God puts in front of you and around you. God made you to be a conduit, not a container. So pray hard. Number two is responsiveness rules. I love this. In Mark 1, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net, for they were fishermen. He said, come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And they said, ah, let me think about it. I don't know. I'm kind of busy right now. I'm jammed up. Oh, life's crazy. I don't have time. That's not what it says. Circle the words at once, at once, at once, at once. That's responsiveness. And I just think in this day and age, when we're trying to influence people, that's, you want to look for men and women around you who are responsive, responsive to you, 
responsive to relationship, and then spiritually responsive as well. And I, I still, I, I point you out all the time, Jamie, I'm, I see you sitting here, but when we were on that mentoring boot camp and you shared, I never forgot it. It's like there came a moment in my life of making disciples and discipling when I stopped chasing them and begging them and pleading with them to be in my group. Or It's like at some point you're looking for, hey, I'd love for you to, love to meet with you, love to be in a relationship, a friendship, love to be in a group together. But you know, if they don't return your calls or they're, they're too busy and they flake and they're unreliable, at some point you're looking for responsive people, responsive people to you and responsive people to the Lord. And so this whole idea of response, responsiveness, I want to I just kind of give a shout out to uh, the church, First Covenant Church in Oakland um, is where I gave my life to Christ. And there was something in the Kool-Aid at that church when I, when I was there. There was a movement happening. It was a spiritual movement that was happening of disciple-making, of responsiveness. And after I gave my life to Christ, I was a high school kid and a college kid named Bobby Nelson said, hey, I want to meet with you. I, I, I want to invite, I heard you're, you're, you're newer in the faith. I'd love to, I, I didn't, I knew him a little bit, but I was like, I didn't, okay. And we studied this book in the New Testament called James, you know. I never even heard of James. I'm like, who's James? What's James? But So he started teaching me what I needed to know out of the scriptures. But, but then we started lingering together. Hey, you know, after we have our time together, let's, uh, let's go, you know, down to Lake Merritt and we'll go for a run together or whatever. And so it was kind of that combination, right? And so God used these different people in this church called First Covenant Church Oakland, older men in my life and peers, people like Dave Hicks, Bill Branna, Steve Knox, Kurt Holm, uh, Andy Clifford. I mean, I could go on and on that there was this, people got it, what we're talking about right here. There were, there were 100 people in that church that were going, I'm on mission. I'm looking for younger people that I can spiritually impact, that are responsive, that are really hungry and ready to grow in their faith, and I'm available to do that. And that impacted me. So when I was in college, that's how I started living my life. I became a high school leader. I started disciple-making high school students. That's how I ended up in, in, in ministry is I just went, wow, I could give my life to influencing and rubbing off on, diatriboing with people by spending time with them. And so responsiveness rules, and then, I, I'm running out of time here, uh, take risks, and this is, this is simple, but it's scary. What do I mean by that, take risks? You have to take emotional risks if you're going to disciple people. You got to get out of the classroom out of the, uh, and into, let people into your heart. Who here is looking for the perfect, sinless, flawless mentor? Nobody. We all want someone we're like, oh, you too? Yeah, me too. Like, I struggle with that. Like, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for willingness, availability, saying, I'm willing to let God use me with my weaknesses, with my flaws, with my imperfections. But when I screw up, I get back up and I'm back on the road. I repent, I confess, and I say, okay, let's keep moving in the way of Jesus. And so this idea of letting others in, you're moving from surface talk 
to personal conversation to spiritual conversation. There are some of you in this church that are best friends, but you never have spiritual conversations. We can talk about the Dodgers and the Lakers and the stock market and the this and that, but the, the risk is, hey, how's it going with you and your family right now? Hey, how's your relationship with the Lord going? What's your scale of one to ten? What would you, how would you rate where you're at spiritually right now and why? And, and, and where do you want to be? And what's keeping you from being there? Like taking a risk to ask the question that moves us from great concert at the bowl last night. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, okay, great. That's cool. We start there. But then you move to places in conversation that matters. And you let people that you're discipling and mentoring into your heart. So you let them see that you're not perfect either, but you're allowing Jesus to change everything one day at a time. So take risks. And then uh, here's a quote by Craig Chrishell. He's a covenant pastor. He says, it's easy to impress people with our strengths, but real connections are forged through our shared weaknesses. I've found that to be true in my life. It's scary. I've, I've had moments of... we. I think it's you, Casey, who coined the phrase vulnerability hangover, <laughs> where you share, and then the next day you're like, oh, man, I poured my heart out in my small group, but nobody else did. I was the only one. Anybody else had that? That's part of the risk. It's like, oh, man, I let people in, and nobody else, nobody else kind of got vulnerable. Well, that's part of navigating relationships and sharing and oversharing or undersharing. That's all part of the adventure. Number four, environments matter. I, I mention this because I think they do matter. Environments influence mood. Environments influence my comfort or discomfort. Do I feel safe? Do I not feel safe? Do I want to linger or do I want to blow out and leave? Is this space life-giving or is it loud and distracting? Do I feel comfortable or do I not? And so just as you think about mentoring and disciple making and environments matter. Now, I know we're all different, but like I, I got zero interest in meeting you at 5 a.m. at Starbucks. I just I'm not ready to be vulnerable and I'm not ready to kind of just open my. But if you want to sit around a fire pit at night, if you want to sit around a table and, and have dinner or a meal together, if you want to go on a walk or a bike ride, though, you know, you got to figure it out for you and the people you're mentoring and discipling. Environments matter. Uh, and there's a group of guys in our church, I love it. They meet at Ledbetter Beach. They bring their beach chairs down there once a week. And they've been doing it for years. That's, that environment is their place. It's life-giving for them. It's sacred space. It's holy ground. And they love to meet there. And then here's my last one, and I know I'll get some pushback on that, but I believe in it. It's just, it just lives in me, and I call it road trip. The road trip, I have, I have friends in this church that I, can, I have never been able to get on a road trip. We've studied the Bible at Starbucks together for years. But, you know, there comes a point where it's like, how well do we know each other? That rubbing off, that diatribo, 
when you're on a road, when you're in a car together, you know, there was a, there was a group of us, I think it was eight of us, that got in a church van and drove all night to Moab, Utah. And we stayed at a dumpy little motel called the Lazy Lizard. You look it up. You look it up. And I dare you to stay there, too. But you know what? We did it intentionally. I chose to stay there intentionally because, hey, we stayed at the Hyatt. Who remembers that? But every one of those guys still talking about the lazy lizard in Moab, Utah. And, and so getting away together, even for a night. Some of you have gone together up to Kamadoli, the retreat center, the time in the car and then having that time at the retreat center and coming, there's so many going to camp, going to conferences, going on a road trip together. It's part of how we diatribo, how we rub off on each other. God uses that. Jesus, read the Gospels. He's, he's on the water in a boat with, with them. He's climbing up on a mountain with them. He's making breakfast for them on a beach. He's all over the place. Sometimes we think, well, it's got to be in the temple, right? Jesus just did it at the temple. Nope. He did it all over the place. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening. You know, full disclosure, my prayer this week has been, God, I pray that you would raise up 100 people in our church that would say yes that would say yes to becoming a disciple maker, that would say yes to the marching orders that you gave us to go and make disciples, that this church wouldn't just be a place that we gather on Sunday, but, but the life-on-life life stuff, the lingering, the rubbing off on, the influencing, the friendships that we have, that they go to the next level. And even right now, I just feel led to pray for those friendships that are, are good friends in this church, but Jesus, Christian friends, but Jesus isn't part of the conversation. I pray that that would shift, that that would change. I pray that if that's you, that maybe even this week you would take a risk and bring Jesus into the conversation in a lovely, gentle, life-giving way that would be encouraging, not threatening or shaming or <clears throat> challenging, but more to strengthen and encourage and comfort your friends, your family. I pray that for me, too. God, I pray today that you would just put the desire in 100 people's hearts to say yes, to say, God, I want to be a disciple maker. I want, to, I want to embrace this diatribo mindset to rub off on others for the glory of God. I don't want to be a hero. I want to be a, a hero maker. I want to be a, a spiritual Shalane Flanagan. And uh, I, I want to surround myself with people that we're going to run together to help us each other get better, to, to, to live our lives at a higher level, to become more like Jesus at a higher level. I pray that spirit over our church, God. May it be so. In me and in us. In Jesus' name, amen.